December, December edition of Roaring Twenties Radio, December 2023. Here we are, it's snowing in Soho. <laughs> thick, thick snow and children running around selling chestnuts and lollipops. And matches, a, matches. And matches, <laughs> literally selling matches. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And Charles Dickens is there off to do a gig. And it's just fantastic here in ye old Soho. Yes. Uh, yeah. My name is Selena Godden. I'm here with my co-host Amarose Abrams, and uh, we are joined by our very special guest, Richard Milward. Hey! Thanks for having me. <laughs> we have a jam-packed show with you. We're going to show you um, talk about some beautiful books, art, culture, activism, charity work, beautiful things, beautiful things, books, 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 poetry, poetry, pictures, pictures. But before, let's actually get a little flavour of the show. What are we opening the show with this this We're month? opening with some go-betweens, some very unseasonal spring rain. Oh, lovely. Go on then.
to Roaring Twenties Radio on Soho Radio. As Selena briefed us just now, it is a bucolic scene here in Soho. Oh, it is, it is. Yeah, exactly. You know, we're just filled with seasonal cheer over here. We are. We, we are. We, we love it. We do. It's brilliant. It is. Roll on the stuff that is Christmas. Yeah. Yay. I basically feel like I'm going to come to halfway through January. <laughs> After this show, <laughs> um, we are joined today by Richard Millwood. Who's absolute an legend, author. Richard Millwood. I think you forgot to say absolute legend. Yes, absolute legend. And I mean, I just remember you were like when you first published Ten Story Love Song, which is when I met you. It was around that time, right? Yeah. Or just before it came out. And um, basically, I just remember being astonished at how young you were and how successful you were and how kind of you had this whole vision of the world in this amazing book. And um, yeah, I just wondered, like, how, what was that like looking back? Because it was crazy. Yeah, I mean, even even before Ten Story Love Song, my first book was Apples. That oh, came yeah, out when Apples. I was, yeah, yeah so that, that, that was before that. Yeah, so that came out in 2007. I was... 22 yes so I wrote that when I was 18 19 but um yeah it was strange because I'd just moved down to to London for art college um I mean I've been writing since I was 12 basically uh I, I sent my first stuff out to to Canongate um after reading there was an anthology called Children of Albion Rovers um and the first letter they gave me back like it was a rejection letter but they said there's no way you're 12 basically so I just <laughs> kind of carried <laughs> you're I, lying yeah. so I I sent them my birth certificate just to prove <laughs> prove my credentials, but um, yeah. So then, I, so I was just carrying on like that. But um, before I came down to London, I just sent apples off to Canongate and Faber, which were the two publishers that were sort of interested. And I didn't really think anything of it. I thought if nothing happens, I'll try and kind of cut my teeth as a, a painter. But then it was amazing that um, Faber got in touch after a couple of months, and yeah, so everything went really wild. I guess after that, so I was trying. Yes. I managed yeah. to just about get my my two, totally, one, my two one degree. Yeah. But, um, yeah. I totally remember that explosion. I totally remember when Apples came out and the gigs and the fun and the wild times. It was a good time, right? Yeah, definitely. Especially in Soho. I mean, it's brilliant. Yeah. We're in the square mile of yeah, scene yeah. right now because this I'm is where it was all nostalgic. kind of happening. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It was nice to have experienced the colony room as well. That, yeah. You know, there's a lot of things, you know, you feel like there are a lot of ghosts yeah. in Soho at the moment because it's all these memories that we've got of, you know, nights in Jerry's or, yeah. I mean, there are still some good last bastions, like the French is still yeah. going strong. Even we've just come from the Star and Garter oh, we just have. now as well, <laughs> after after ten ten jars. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so the, I mean, yeah, I love so, and it's so, it's special to to do this um, do this in the heart of it as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, we wanted to mention because obviously, I mean, 
There's no obviously in the news at the moment. There's just so much news. <laughs> Bad news. But um, we wanted to mention, incidentally, uh, the passing of Shane McGowan. Oh, now talk about... Yeah, At I mean, 65, yeah. which I actually... I mean, I didn't realise yeah. he was that young. Yeah, yeah. He was younger than Jock. That's how I you know, remember it. Because obviously Jock Scott was sort of my mentor and my, my hero and my big brother in the early 90s. And so, yeah, I mean, you, when people, they stay in the pocket of the time when you knew them. And uh, so my familiarity with Shane McGowan was very much sort of 90, early 90s, filthy McNasties, Jock yeah. Scott, doing those gigs. You'd have young Peter Doherty behind the bar. <laughs> he was yeah. just the barman, wasn't he, serving the pints? Yeah, he was. And Getting then, involved, though. Yeah, get old gold, yeah. There's <laughs> no stopping him. Yeah. <laughs> and the early days of the Libertines when they weren't really even called, I don't even think they were even called the Libertines then. And um, Or maybe they were, but they were just very young and uh, and and wide-eyed and and then you've got Shane McGowan and Jock Scott and all sorts and those crazy poetry gigs we used to do there and parties we used to have there and ah oh, the taste of Guinness and the and a swig of whiskey and this and just feeling really young but being accepted in that story and in that picture um i found a picture actually yesterday of, really? of shane in filthy monasties taken in 1994 it's on my instagram if you want to see it and that's where shane is for me forever you know i don't even think that pub's still there i don't even think it's got a weird new name oh is it is it yeah. still a pub even yeah i was yeah. going to say it's probably been turned into flats but but yeah gosh we had some amazing messy messy times in there um yeah let's salute shane mcgowan and raise a glass of Guinness to every rebellious, anarchistic, badass, filthy, 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 filthy time right. you've ever had. All right, this is Dirty Old Town. Yeah. We'll be playing some more later in the show, but this is the first. Bring it on. Excellent. But my love, by the gasworks wall, dream the dream by the old canal. I kiss my girl by the factory wall, dirty old town, dirty old town. Drifting across the moon Cats are prowling on their beams Springs a girl from the streets at night Dirty old town Dirty old town
the docks Saw a train Set the night on fire I smelled the spring On the smoky wind Dirty old town Dirty old town I'm gonna make Shining still Tempered in the fire I'll chop you down Like an old train Dirty old town Dirty old town I met my love By the gasworks wall Dreamed a dream By the old canal I kissed my girl By the factory wall Dirty old town Dirty old town Sharing, sharing, sharing. Some Shane McGowan there. And now we are going to hear the latest from Matt in Leeds, who couldn't join us today because his poor child has norovirus. We hope it doesn't spread to the entire household. Get well soon, Rory. Yeah, yeah get well soon. Hello, everybody. You are listening to Roaring Twenties Radio on Soho Radio, the monthly show for art, culture, books, poetry and activism. You can follow us on Instagram at Roaring Twenties Radio and the 20s is 20S. My name is Matt Abbott. I am absolutely devastated not to be in the studio for this episode, but I am bringing you my roundup from the world of spoken word and poetry. And as always, I'm going to start off with some events, some of which are today, right? So if you are in Oxford, get yourself down to Blackwell's Books this afternoon because there's a free event on at Blackwell's. Mary Jean Chan, Momtaza Mehri and Victoria Adequai Bully, which is a stunning lineup, um, an absolutely stunning lineup. It's from three until four this afternoon and it's free. So get on it. I can't really, there's nothing else I can say. Just get on it. It's in the Benjamin Henry room. Get a ticket now on Eventbrite um, if you're in Oxford. If you are in London, Tonight, you can see Rudy Francisco at the Western Hall, which is part of the University of West London. Now, as I read this, there are tickets available, but I would expect it to sell out. Tickets are around £27. Um, Rudy Francisco is one of the most recognisable names in spoken word. He shared a stage with artists such as Gladys Knight, Jordan Sparks and Jill Scott. Yeah, he's a huge name. He's, he's been on Jimmy Fallon. He's, he's, a, he's a global star. So if you are in London and you can make it to the University of West London tonight, go and see Rudy Francisco. Um, and then finally, this is also tonight, if you're down in Bristol, get along to Sparks, there's an event called Poetry on Palestine featuring Loki and a load more. Um, it's pay what you feel, tickets are six, eight or ten pounds, plus there's concessions available for five pounds. So that's tonight in Bristol at Sparks and it's called Poetry on Palestine. Loads of rap and spoken word and creative writing being shared. Okay, so, if you need a little bit more time to get yourselves ready, uh, this Monday evening in Sheffield, 
uh, a venue called Sadaka. Um, it's an evening of poetry and solidarity with Sheffield, the city of Sanctuary. It features a poetry performance by Roy McFarlane, and it's a whole evening to support and, and offer solidarity to refugees and asylum seekers. Tickets are £5, unless you are a refugee or asylum seeker, in which case tickets are free. So check that out. This, this Monday night in Sheffield is an evening of poetry and solidarity with Roy McFarlane. On Thursday of next week, that's Thursday the 7th of December, um, in Leicester at Watson's Cocktail Bar, there's a night there called Right, which is R-Y-T. Um, this month it features Layla King. Uh, I really like Layla King. Uh, Layla King is a half Iranian queer footballer, mental health advocate and stand-up poet. Her debut collection, Midnight Picnics in Tehran, was published by Burning Eye. And her new collection, We Are Hungry for Androgyny, is recently out with Polari Press. I've seen Layla perform loads and I think she's great. So if you are in Leicester or anywhere, anywhere near Leicester, make sure you get to that next Thursday night. Okay, uh, in my city of Leeds on Friday the 8th of December, get you along to the Tetley. So there's an event at the Tetley at 6pm on Friday the 8th. It's the launch, the book launch for Oluwale Now. So if you don't know uh, the story of David Oluwale, he was a black homeless man in Leeds who was found in the river having been um, attacked and killed by some police officers and this was all covered up by the police, by the courts, by the press and it's only in recent years that his story is really rising to prominence um, and this is a, a collection, well it's an anthology of cutting edge poetry and prose and artwork which addresses the contemporary issues that his story touch upon um, and this is the launch, so it's, it's free, it's being launched by People Tree Press um, performances on the night include Emily Zobel Marshall. Um, and yeah, get along. And if you don't already know about uh, David Oluwale, then I strongly recommend you do some research because it's a very important story. Okay, so up next, Monday the 11th at 8pm. This is down in Brighton. You can see RG Manuel Palai and Aflo the Poet at the Brighton Dome in the Studio Theatre. Tickets are £10. These are two very, very exciting names. Um, it's an electrifying evening of spoken word. Two extraordinary voices colliding, weaving tender introspection and fearless verses to ignite change. So Argy Manuel Pillai is London-based and has been poet, uh, published in the Poetry Review, the Rialto and Bath Mag. He's also known for the book Improvised Explosive Device, which was highlighted in the Telegraph uh, and the Guardian. He's an absolutely stunning poet. And Aflo is a Brighton-based um, spoken word artist and activist working with topics such as racism and mental health. She is one of the most exciting names on the scene right now. I'm seeing her all over. So make sure you get to that if you're anywhere near Brighton on Monday the 11th. Next, on Saturday the 16th, this isn't a performance event as such, but it's a really interesting event that I wanted to highlight. This is up in the northeast um, at Stockton, Stockton-upon-Tees at the Ark. Uh, Stockton Art Centre. It's called Poetry Playspace uh, from poem to film poem and it's been organised by Tease Women Poets. Tease Women Poets put on um, some wonderful events all around Teesside. Uh, and they, basically this is like a workshop. If you've got a poem and you're wanting to create an arty film to accompany it, this is uh, a workshop that will introduce you to ideas and and contacts so that you can start doing that. I think I think poem films are a wonderful art form and I really enjoy watching them. So if you bring along a short poem that you want to work into a storyboard and a notebook and sketchpad, uh, they will give you the resources and tips to help you to do that. You don't need a camera or anything like that. It's just going to help you to realise that idea. Tickets are free and it is aimed at... It's an experimental space for women poets. So definitely go to that if you're up in the northeast and that applies. The penultimate event I'm going to mention is Verbose. So this is in the, uh, the King's Arms in Salford near Manchester. 
this is the final event of the year. It's on Monday the 18th of December, and the feature acts are Luke Samuel Yates and Thomas D. Lee. Tickets range between £3 and £10. It's pay what you feel. So get to that if you're up in the Northwest. And then finally, I just want to mention Verve Poetry Festival 2024. I've just announced their full programme. So that is in Birmingham at the Hippodrome in February. Um, a stunning, stunning list of poets on there. We've got Jason Allen Paysant, uh, Joe Bell, Liz Berry, Zafar Konyal, Tyrone Lewis, uh, Holly Pester, Loads of amazing poets, Jennifer Wong. So yeah, make sure you check that out. That's Verve Poetry Festival. If you just go to their website, it's from the 22nd to the 25th of Feb. Doesn't matter where you're based, have yourself a weekend in Birmingham. It's well worth the journey. So that is Verve Poetry Festival 2024. Okay, so now I just want to mention some books that I'm really excited about. Um, so first up is Fran Locke with Vulgar Errors Stroke Feral Subjects. That came out on the 23rd of November on Outspoken for 13 99 in this uncompromising collection of lyric essays, T.S. Eliot Prize shortlisted poet Fran Locke pulls us with her into the vortex of the feral. From medieval bastries to poundland, Edmund Spencer to X-ray specs, in vulgar errors stroke feral subjects, Locke explores and eviscerates historical and cultural links between animality and otherness in contexts ranging across class, gender, queerness and Irishness. Overflowing with strange rigour and a rage that is tempering hope, Locke excavates the ways feral is at once both trap and means of liberation. So that is uh, Fran Locke, Vulgar Error Struck, Feral Subjects, out now on Outspoken. Kieran Hodges has just published his second collection, Solastalgia, on Burning Eye. That came out on the 9th of November and it's available for 9 In his second poetry collection, Irish poet Kieran Hodges explores the intersection of mental health and the natural world what it means and how it feels to seek out better states of being, both individually and as part of a living ecology. These poems ask what trees can teach us about grief, considers revolutionary biology as a metaphor for the counselling process, how autumn can encourage us to let go, what a mountain has to say about trauma, how an extinct bird might help us feel more at home in our bodies. Seeking beyond history and colonialism, this collection urges us to find deeper connections to our individual and cultural selves as a gateway for nurturing reciprocity in the wider world. So that is Kieran Hodges with Solastalgia out now on Burning Eye Books. And now I've got a couple of pre-orders. So Catherine Gander is publishing Matches in, on the 24th of February with Verve. That is available to pre-order now at £8.50. This is a quote from Alice Hiller. Through which openings does someone enter when they control the life of another? How do you push that harm back out and first reclaim, then love your own attacked self? Beautiful, poised and unflinching, Matches tracks one woman's encounter with domestic abuse and violence. Written with the sharp end of a question mark, it also records the path she created to free herself from a world where every move is set up to be the wrong one. A light out of darkness for many and a place of learning for all of us. These are poems to honour and cherish. So this is Catherine Gander with Matches on the 24th of Feb on Verve Poetry Press. Penultimate book I'm going to mention is Jenny Pagdin with The Snow Globe. That is coming out on Nine Arches Press also in February next year, available to pre-order. Jenny Pagdin's powerful, sensitive and stark debut poetry collection details a first-hand experience of postpartum psychosis. Threaded through this book are extraordinary and courageous poems that illuminate, that settle and unsettle in equal measure, that move through illness and recovery, through snow flurry and sunshine towards love. So that's Jenny Pagdin with a snow globe out soon on Nine Arches Press. And finally, Jasmine Courier with Inheritance on Bad Betty Press. 
this is a stunning collection. I'm very fortunate to be uh, to have been given a copy by Bad Betty, and I'm reading through it at the moment. It really is uh, incredible. Um, so this is the blurb. Inheritance is a profoundly moving exploration of what is passed down by our forebearers, what is left behind when we lose someone, and what we learn from being loved. Jasmine Courier holds our most fiercely guarded myth myths to the light, refracted through second-generation diaspora, family legend, and life-changing loss. Her poems embrace both the quiet and the storms within. They sing of self-belief, rising to the surface as drowning feels imminent, of desire and how it means to hope. This is a timeless debut, wise, wild and empowering, a lodestar for survival. So please do check that out. That is Inheritance by Jasmine Kure, available right now on Bad Betty Press. And I'm just going to round off by mentioning, uh, this is quite a big thing in the poetry scene right now. Um, there's a documentary on iPlayer called Being K Tempest. If you are into poetry or spoken word in the slightest, you will know who K Tempest is. Um, this is a brand new documentary. It only came out this week. So make sure you check that out. It's available now on iPlayer. Um, K Tempest, obviously an incredibly important artist who's done a lot for the form. So do check that out. That's called Being K Tempest. Um, thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed my roundup and enjoy the rest of the show. Take care. Of 
Classical torture ruined my mind Like a snake in the orchard I did go from wanting to be someone Now I'm drunk and wearing flip-flops on Fifth Avenue Once you've fallen from classical virtue Won't have a soul for to wake up and
pastel-coloured tower block, the nasty edge of town. Interrupts the sunrise with a 15-storey frown. The paint jobs look like piss stains, the grass is pasty brown. The council dropped a bollock, but they'll never pull it down. Franco is a failure by the age of 23. He used to be a rock star, now he works in HMV. To Kimberly is a pity shag with little else to choose. A recovering alcoholic, she works in bargain booze. This tape of broken signs of the elevator door. Step inside and fornicate as it moves between the floors. For Franco, it's a mission. Sex is now a sport. For Kimberly, it's all about the risk of being caught. They silently pretend that they get any pleasure from it. And then they roll a spliff to make the other person vomit. Netflix as a sedative till eyelids win the jewel. A tumbleweed existence as boring as it's cruel. No one said the 20s would be destitute and bleak. Formulating saving plans to see him through the week with the papers in the Rizzler pack that say you're nearly done. Kimberly made a collage that said, I haven't yet begun. The strip lights are flickering, the toddlers wear designers. Graffiti on the wall that says, victory to the miners. Destruction to procrastinate. Convenience is queen. Unhinged, uninhibited, unheard and unseen. That was Matt reading some of his lyrics from when he was in a band. And they are a response to Richard's work, which is why he's chosen to send them in for us. So thank you for that, Matt. That is brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. I love that. Yeah. And, um, but this, I was going to do my art roundup, but as it as became apparent um, while we were playing some music, Richard actually knows quite a lot about art as well. <laughs> and he went to art school and he's a painter and... Um, we so, did, and did the artwork for, for one of his books as well? Yeah. Yeah, there was, um, for Apples, I did the kind of initial design and, yeah. that, and then returned it into something a, a lot more slicker because <laughs> uh, I have quite a slapdash, expressive approach to uh, art, but yeah. But we were just chatting about some shows and we were talking about kind of, um, like there's a few, three really good shows on at the moment, one in Germany, one at Munich at Haus der Kunst, which is a show of women artists and it's spaces that you can play in physically and move in. Um, so you've got Judy Chicago's Feather Room in there and then you've got lot, just a lot of different spaces that are interactive. So it kind of seems a little bit like it's for kids, but it's not, uh, especially not at the Feather Room. Um, but it is really fun and it's all about kind of like forgetting yourself a bit. We've got Women in Revolt, which has just opened at Tate Britain, which has got rave reviews. I haven't seen it yet, but that's meant to be amazing. And then we've got uh, also um, Resistors, which is on at the Barbican. And it's it just seems to be a lot of shows about women and political art, but rather than what we would have had a few years ago, which would be like, women doing things, then it's it's just a bit more like, these shows are on, it's, you know, and we've got Sarah Lucas on at Tate Britain as well, what, what a great kind of like pairing with Women in Revolt and Sarah Lucas, who is like such a naturally rebellious kind of like artist in all the funnest ways. And in terms of gallery shows, Everything opened yesterday. We were just talking about this as well. I made it to two. Alia Farid has a show at the Chisholm Hale with kind of tapestries, which is incredibly beautiful. And I advise everybody to go down there. I also went to Paul Stolper Gallery just outside the British Museum. And they have a really interesting show of Picasso drawings and some cardboard works and things like that. And so they've got like lovely kind of 
vitrines full of accounts and photographs and little kind of like ephemera to go along with it. It's a very small show, but it's really beautiful. And obviously, you know, it's Picasso is Picasso. If you love him or loathe him, he's still Picasso. And um, yeah, there's just like, there's just a lot of really great things. There's Jenny Savile, kind of like one of my favourite painters, and she's done this kind of AI collaboration um, which I haven't yet seen, and that's on Gagosian on Davies Street. And um, yeah, I'm kind of like I, f- I feel like there's there's just a lot that there's a lot that's open. So <laughs> I would head da- head on down to Mayfair if you want to check out some shows. There's just a huge amount of stuff that's on at the moment. I'm trying to keep track of everything. I've been a little distracted um, in terms of the art world recently because it's just been such chaos. Um, We, uh, at the moment, I think we have some acting editors, but four of the major art publications are without an editor-in-chief for a myriad reasons, one of whom um, was fired, actually. Uh, The editor of Art Forum was fired for posting a uh, ill-composed, well, so it was ill-composed, for posting a uh, tile in support of Palestine and um, it's calling for a ceasefire, basically. And there have been lots of shows kind of cancelled, moved, postponed, different types of shows, like a couple of book launches, I think, in Germany, some exhibitions in Germany as well, film festival here, like just an evening of film, which was um, moved. One venue said they would no longer want to host it, and that was moved. We've got people tearing chunks out of each other online which I feel like is very kind of like within the industry. It's quite inward facing, but, you know, it's kind of goes against everything that the art world thinks that it stands for, which is people being able to express their views. And of course, when something is so personal and there's so much kind of death and kind of like terrible things that have happened, then people are going to have really strong views and they're going to, you know, they're going to express those views on social media. And in a way part of me thinks just let people express themselves within reason and I don't really think I need to define what reason means people know where the limits are and um and just let time pass it's like but nobody should be having their shows cancelled losing their jobs or um or you know or, or having to kind of find alternative forms of employment for speaking out against um you know kidnap and terrorism on one side or um you know kind of like genocidal kind of activities happening on the other and you know and that's been defined by the UN that's not my that's not an opinion it's you know these these are kind of thing and so i feel like while there's so many wonderful things culturally that are always happening we live in london and it's beautiful and it's safe <laughs> And we have this kind of, we've got this wealth of beautiful things. There are so many wonderful things happening at the moment. But I kind of really do think people need to, yeah, take a step back and stop tearing chunks out of each other, mainly online, and start respecting uh, start respecting kind of f- the facts that are involved and start respecting each other again. Because, uh, yeah, you're going to have to start doing that eventually. Yeah, 
I mean, it just feels like just spiralling violence, just violence begets violence, begets violence. And I don't just mean on the global stage, but also the way we're treating each other or speaking to each other or trying to silence each other. I think, um, yeah, what the world needs now is love, love, love. It's very Selena. I know, that's what I think. Yeah. Yeah, I know, I know exactly, you believe it. I didn't mean it like that. But, um, yeah, of course. But anyway, so I just felt I wanted to say something. And, um, yeah. And thanks for that. Thank you. Hopefully it wasn't too much of a ramble. And um, now I'm going to go into uh, some really... This, this band are great. And every time I kind of go to a music industry thing or gig or kind of chat to people I know that work in music, that it's the same thing that I hear about this band, that they are just the best live band around at the moment new live band so this is young fathers and this is i saw i love them i want your shield i want your weapon give me that bulletproof vest and don't forget i'm not susceptible to your nonsense i'm a winner no falling for your charms no crashing to your arms handful of coins and a bold Justice, holier than thou. Sunset Kremlin, 
Richard Millward. I'm going to read you something from her latest novel, which is called Man Eating Typewriter. Uh, the book begins with a publisher of pretty terrible pulp fiction in Fitzrovia in the late 1960s. One morning, they receive this Polari peppered letter. Dear Sir slash Madam, I am an ugly man, a Miss Michigan Omi, but a fashionable Omi, and soon to be a Molto famous Omi, lull my lapper. Esteemed publisher of glistening livers, myself and my devotees cordially invite you to join with us in this forthcoming fame. We hereby offer you an una in a lavitime lucrative share in the high-flying, hallucinating, espresso-schlumpfing, pate-nibbling, gibbering, both-way-swinging, reprogramming, reverse-servo-lathering, polarising, paranoid, cobblestoned, mono-bothering, line-crossing, cross-dressing, omi-jarring, laugh-hammering, Raymond Novak experience. In Duicenta Cetodice Hexagunos, 276 days for those without the lingo, myself and my devotees will commit a fantastic crime, a fantabulosa crime that will revolt the mond. My nom will be on the oyster levers of every daffy jittery civvy as news breaks of this dazzling atrocity, my eek splattered across the cover of every inky and glossy on the newsstand, the establishment brought to its lally caps, the system left thoroughly smashed and chavered. In anticipation of my untimely and yet molto likely demise on this date, batons, bombers, pistolets and molto sang guaranteed, or else all costs repackaged you in full, I am screeving my memoirs. What I propose is, if you are interested, I will send you morsel by morsel each chapter as, as it is tap tap dinged out upon the laugh hammer. I am your man, but I am a miso me and a coddy or to boot. My achievements in education have not been up to dick to say the least, but do not fear, I have enlisted the help of a devoted comrade, an award-winning scholar and author, to phantom screeve, ghostwrite if you will, my autobiography. I want Nanti Denali for my liver, Nanti Advance, Nick's royalties, no money for this venture, only immortality, the lavy everlasting, the chance to screech my story to the masses in the event of my ultra-inevitable death come next summertide, and you, in turn, have this una in a lavy time opportunity to publish my truthful screeve immediately as news breaks of this mostest fantabulosa crime. It will be a real humdinger, a bona dinali spinner, I assure you, revolting. Esteemed publisher, if you are interested, give me a sign. Post a petite handlebar moustache in the small ads section of the International Times, and in return I shall send you, chapter upon chapter, as they are bashed out, these most specialny sensational memoirs. Bona laves, Raymond Marianne Novak. Thank you so much. Thank Thanks. you, thank you, thank you. It was amazing. Can I ask you, I bet loads of people have asked you, but I am going to ask you, um, like, who is Raymond based on? Is it a piece of you, or where did you find this character, this very spectacular, depraved character, may I say? Yeah, it's a bit of a bit of a mix. I mean, it was the book was the real catalyst for the book was reading Helter Skelter, which is Vincent Pugliosi was the prosecuting lawyer in the Manson family murders in the late 60s. Um, and I was reading a lot about, um, yeah, cult leaders during that time, um, a lot of, like, extreme left-wing terrorist groups. Um, but I think in terms of, I mean, yeah, Novak is basically a psychopath. He's not um, strictly based on much of my own 
uh, personality, except <laughs> you for, changed. Yeah, it's been a long ten years when I've been in the wilderness <laughs> since my last book. But um, Novak has a real dislike for hierarchy, which I share with him. But he, but I mean, basically, Novak kind of pushes everything to the extreme. So he kind of he's very much a lone wolf character. He does build a kind of cult around himself in a small boutique in Fitzrovia in the late 60s, 70s. It sort of made sense to me to to sort of set it in at that period because it's almost when like hippie optimism seemed to kind of congeal or harden into a more sort of anti-capitalist military militarism. Almost, uh, yeah, a lot of these kind of extreme left-wing terrorist groups kind of emerged during that time. And uh, So, yeah, so that, that was the main inspiration for it, basically. Brilliant, brilliant. And so I just want you, I just wanted to read this. I got a letter from your publisher, Lee Brackstone. And I'm just going to read this out loud for anyone who hasn't read Man Eating Typewriter. I'm just going to say this little bit and then ask you to speak to it. Okay, so Richard Millwood's Man Eating Typewriter is a disgusting and depraved book, awash with orgies, drug abuse and bestiality, casual violence, cross-dressing, castration, comically unconventional sexual assaults and lovingly described abdominal bowel movements. I thoroughly enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, that was that was the first review that came in for the book. It was a it was a rave review as well from the uh the Telegraph. Oh, oh really? fantastic! Yeah. So, and how can you how can you resist? No, how can can't, you can't. Uh... You can't. What I mean, you do your writing does. You know, it sticks. It goes to the fan. It's always gone a little bit into the fantastical. It's always. It's never been like completely. You know, you're not writing a yeah. news article. Yeah, always incredibly vivid. And, yeah, yeah, and yeah. It's full of imagination and full of colour and full of like hyper real aspects of life. But what made you go all in with this? Like, what? Did, yeah. Yeah, I think I've. I mean, I've always been inspired by the the surrealists and and Dada, yeah. um, especially with the surrealists, where they they wanted to almost like revolutionise everyday life as well. So it was. It's not just about lobsters and telephones, etc. It's mm. all about kind of kind of trying to actually upturn, I guess, like bourgeois society, etc. But with this, yeah. So, I mean, again, like I was. As I've as I've said, yeah, I was looking at kind of extreme politics in it, um, and yeah, with all my books, I mean, it, it seems as if book by book they become more and more strange, more and more surrealist. But um, yeah, I'm not sure what it is exactly that kind of draws me towards that. But I think it's just that just the awareness of the the kind of slipperiness of reality, I guess. So you agree with me that writing books are difficult, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. it's quite difficult definitely. to write a book. So surely writing a book in Polari, that made it even more difficult. What made you choose that? That's just blown my mind. I mean, that just seems amazing to me. Yeah, I mean, I, I always wanted to to write a book in slang. And initially I had two ideas for a, for a book. This is 10 years ago. One was going to be almost set in this weird dystopia with a slang that I was going to invent myself, basically. Excellent. But I think that because the possibilities were endless, it was just a bit overwhelming i was yeah i mean where do you start when it comes <laughs> to like <laughs> constructing your own language yeah but um and then the other idea was this kind of cult leader that gets in touch with the publisher and says he's gonna commit this crime in the in the future and then the book kind of ticks towards that that crime um and so basically money in typewriter was the the result of just kind of squashing those two two ideas together but again i'd been aware of polari for quite a while um 
it would crop up now and then in, in books I was reading about like sixties counterculture and stuff. And again, because it, again, because um, like the Manson murders, etc., were were a big influence. It made sense to set the book in the sixties. And then because Polari was like at its, if you call it a heyday, it's yeah. very much in the kind of fifties, sixties. So it made sense to when I was squashing the the ideas together to use Polari. I mean, it's yeah. very much like the ultimate nonconformist lingo in many ways because yeah. um, when homosexuality was sort of outlawed in this country, gay men would would speak Polari almost. A, I mean, I love that it's it was almost used as a kind of defence and a weapon yeah. at the same time. So it was a defence in that you could sort of slip a word into a conversation to kind of feel out if someone else was gay too, or you could use it as a weapon in the sense that you know humans do love to kind of badmouth each other and you can kind of slag off you know straight on narrow-minded people even when they're within earshot if you if you speak polari basically <laughs> so um but raymond uses it mainly as a weapon basically it's almost um i mean i love the thing with polari is it's very very sort of sing-song sardonic lingo mm. uh it's quite like a humorous lingo in a way um and so i feel like when he's describing this sort of western society that he really detests when he speaks in all or writes in Polari, it almost makes it seem even more ridiculous in a way. Like it kind of accentuates the absurdity of modern life, basically. Yeah. So the book came out in March. And, yeah. um How's your How's your year been? How's it been? Because I mean, we we haven't seen you for is it seven, ten years, ten years? Ten, yeah, eleven years. Eleven yeah. years since you've published something. So how? Yeah, come on, tell me how was twenty twenty three for you, yeah. book wise, and and coming back out with a fantastic and and such an incredibly unique book. Yeah, it's it's been so special. Um, again, yeah, I've been in the wilderness for so long, just kind of chipping chipping away at it. Um, I mean, the the big thing was it got shortlisted for the Goldsmiths Prize, which was like really, really massive. I've I've never been um, shortlisted for kind of major literary prize before, so that was really encouraging. Yeah, well yeah done. no thanks. Yeah, yeah. well that done. That was massive. That's brilliant. And again, the the reviews have been really, really special. You know, we I think me and me and Lee, my publisher, we weren't sure how it was going to go down. I mean, like even the climate, you know, the culture's kind of changed recently. We went, you know, it could have been ignored or misunderstood or whatever. But to get like really brilliant reviews in the major papers and things and then to get the the prize shortlist in it's been it's been brilliant it's been so special yeah sales are obviously a bit of a struggle it seems as if that's kind of like that's the main difference uh compared to sort of 11 15 years ago but you know you just keep you keep plowing on you have to adapt and yeah and just make make it work for you you know is there an audio book just because i'm really into audio is there an audio book there certainly is so it's me Oh, oh brilliant. Speaking in tongues basically oh, for sixteen hours. Fantastic. <laughs> I'm really into audiobooks. Like, yeah, that thanks. Thanks for letting me know that. So yeah, you basically have taken your time to write to make something timeless. That's that's my feeling. And I love that that you've done that. No, thanks. Yeah, it's massive. But you say that you had a, like a pause and I don't know, I might be completely misreading this, so I'm sure you'll correct me if I'm wrong. But when you start writing when you're twelve um, then you've been writing for 20 years or something like that. But, so maybe you needed a break from that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, it's a long time. Yeah, well, well, it wasn't a break at all, yeah. basically. So I was, um, there was a couple of false starts with yeah. other things that I was going to write, and this, this took seven years. But yeah. I think even, I mean, the main thing, the main reason it took a, a long time is because I've been kind of like juggling, juggling all sorts of different jobs as well. So yeah. sort of financially it's been a bit, a bit difficult, so it's almost... Yeah, and again, I mean, the the book is quite it's quite thick. It's almost like two yeah, two it's novels. Yeah, very long. Yeah. yeah, it's sort of like two almost. 
I'm billing it, it's not like two novels in one, almost. Yeah. So you've got like the memoirs and then you've got his publisher's footnotes that kind of, at first they're just there to help sort of decipher the plowry, mm-hmm. but then as the publisher gets sucked further into the Novak's vortex, the, <laughs> fo- the footnotes kind of take over the whole, the whole novel. It's amazing. I feel like it would make a good uh, film. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it'd I make imagine. an amazing movie. I think again, again, because it it does make sense to hear the Polari as well as yeah. you know, not just read it. I think that if you did a film, I mean, the big, I guess it is kind of clockwork orange esque. But you know, you who would you cast in the in the lead role if it was a movie? Well, I know or, that I know that Mark Gatiss is a fan of Polari, oh, and amazing. and again, even like the age, you know, the the publisher, the director of the publisher, is about that that kind of age range. Right. So. If he's listening. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening, there is a part for you. Hollywood's calling. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, so um, before, we, we're going to talk to you some more, but um, is there anyone you want to plug or any books you want to plug or any authors, or any writers or poets that have really been tickling your fancy in 2023? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's sort of interesting. Like my, my reading habits have changed a lot this year because, you, I mean, usually I just read, stuff from kind of like 50 years ago if not 100 years ago yeah but because i've been doing a lot of events and getting paired up with writers i mean it's nice to kind of read other right you know other contemporary writers yeah books i did i um interviewed mickey brownie from lush um in the summer and her her memoirs fingers crossed is is really incredible it's uh i mean her, her childhood was i mean it's, it's very much like harrowing in in many ways but so incredibly unique i mean the lush don't appear in the the memoir until halfway through her her upbringing was that that unique and and startling in a way but that i really recommend that um yeah what else have i read ali miller's the last days that's about her kind of escape from the the uh, jehovah's witnesses that's really it's just written in really like really pristine but quite eerie prose but it's but it's all her kind of life life story basically that was that was really special um yeah, what else have I read? Um, I really love Luke Turner's Men at War. That's it's almost kind of like reframing the Second World War, like masculinity in the Second World War. It's kind of the very much like the sort of tenderness and pleasures of flesh. I guess like thrust against the sort of cold, brutal machinery of of war, basically, and and flesh prefer, prevails. Um, yeah, but I'm, I mean, again, I, I read really slowly, so there's not yeah. it's, it's never like a huge flurry of books, really. But, and I know this is a nightmare question, but um, what what do you have um, lined up? Are you working on anything new? Are you allowed to tell us anything? It's not. No, it's not a nightmare question. Um, I think almost as a kind of antidote to to the vastness of my typewriter, I'm writing a lot of short fiction. Oh, really? Yeah. So I've had, and, and again, oh, like I wasn't I've, expecting you to say that. Oh, that's brilliant. Mm, okay. Yeah. So I've kind of amassed like a lot of. I mean, I keep a lot of lists, and you, you know, I write down a lot of kind of random weird ideas that are definitely not novels but it's quite nice to yeah just focus in on on shorter stuff at the moment and so i guess doing a collection in in a couple of years maybe but yeah it's just quite it's quite nice just kind of again with me juggling different jobs and stuff it's quite nice to just kind of dip in and dip out it's so in your bones isn't it it's so in your blood writing it's like it's like you were born with a with a pen, like an extra finger that was a pen. <laughs> That's how I think of I you. Should get it surgically, <laughs> surgically attached. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I do, I do feel like. I mean, I do have a kind of obsessive streak. I think you do have to be a bit fanatical, yeah, yeah. To, do, yeah. Yeah. to do it. But also, yeah, I mean, I do kind of get withdrawal symptoms if I'm not not writing as well. Yeah, 
I get creep up on you, don't they? Yeah, I get really bitchy. I get really cross, like frustrated. Yeah, and then I realise I just need to write. Yeah, be left alone for a couple of sides of FR. Yeah, and then, oh, I'm happy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like it's like it's like there's a traffic jam in my head. Do you get that feeling? Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. Because there's never a shortage of ideas as well. Mm. It's just about getting the time to do it, really. Isn't yeah, it? and also like, oh, I could have done it differently, or I could have done it this way, or or tried a different colour or a different way of saying it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's never finished, really. <laughs> no, of course, no, yeah. no. I mean, like, at what point do you actually finish? Yeah, what, at what point yeah, do you put, put the put finger down? down. No, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the you can't put pen. your own finger down. <laughs> you can't put yeah. your own. Yeah. All right. Oh, I love that. Thank I've you got so a much. track here, and we'll come back to Richard after we play this track. But I've got this track uh, lined up, and it because it's the track that you named your book after. Yeah, ten yeah. story love song. Ten story love song.
You're listening to Roaring Twenties Radio on Soho Radio. If you want to chat along or come and find us on the internet, you'll find us on Twitter. Well, we're not really on there very much, much. Or you can find us on Instagram. We're on there. So have a look for Roaring Twenties Radio. That's roaring as in lion, as in roaring with tears, roaring as in roaring, like howling like a wolf, roaring, twenties, two O-S, and radio, one word, roaring, twenties radio thank you and um, yes please look please come and find us we post we do we <laughs> share things we interact um, I wanted like just having uh, coming back to Richard now he's joined us in the studio I wanted to ask him about this you've referenced kind of like an interest in um, left-wing radical groups several times in, in the last conversation. So I wanted to pick up on that and say, what drew you to those groups? And it's like, that is a fascinating time, the end of the 60s, I suppose. Yeah. And there were lots of different, from uh, Bader-Meinhof and different, di- different degrees as well. Like some stuff that was just about building geodesic domes and other yeah. stuff that was about, you know, like direct action and things like that. But... Um, I guess it's the ultimate counterculture doing something like that, starting a cult. So what draws you to those ideas and those kind of extreme forms of thinking? I think she wants to know if you're going to be a cult leader and if she can join. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think, I mean... (laughs) What's the handshake? What outfits do we have to wear? And when's the first meeting? Are there hats? (laughs) There'll be hats. Yeah, so I mean, I, f- I feel like in in all my books, I, I'm always attracted to the kind of the extremes, whether it is like emotion or kind of people's situations, and yeah, with with this book, I was kind of trying to educate myself more and more about politics, basically. But again, like the parts that really held my interest were the extremes of politics, basically, and um, yeah, this, I mean, again, like these um, cult leaders are. Are quite like quite odious characters in a way that you know when I'm thinking of like Charles Manson and Jim Jones for instance were you know he was responsible for the the Johnstown massacre the Kool-Aid um, guy yeah exactly yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean the people's temple was kind of a sort of religious pseudo sort of communist left-wing group that then became this kind of horrorscape in in um, Guyana basically but um so I was sort of just really interested in the way that there was a kind of common theme that was coming up with, with these groups like Bader Meinhof and like the Symbionese Liberation Army who kidnapped Patty Hearst in, in California and kind of a it was it was very um sort of debatable whether they really like brainwashed her basically, but they, they kind of converted Patty Hearst, the, the daughter of the Hearst kind of newspaper empire, into a kind of extremist anti capitalist, basically. But I th- like the common theme was that um I guess quite quite often, you know, these groups were really like anti, like really staunchly anti-fascist, but then as their their methods became more sort of like violent, basically they, they did begin to almost start start to mirror the the enemy that they were reeling against, almost in the way that they would kind of, you know, the scapegoating of of the enemy and kind of the yeah like the the sort of violent methods and stuff and so like that really happens in Man in Typewriter the, the character is really again I've said he's a lone wolf he he kind of veers from being seemingly extreme left wing to being extreme right wing he very much sort of uh, 
yeah, even with his sexuality, he kind of like veers from being seemingly straight to seemingly gay. His morality is just totally out of the window, basically. But um, I mean, that kind of seemed to be strangely kind of common theme in these, obviously in the mo the most extreme cult leaders of that time. But yeah, it, it really it really did seem to be like a period where that was really coming up a lot. And it's a fascinating mindset as well. The idea, I've because it, it, it just never occurred to me. I've never walked into a room and gone, I can make these bend these people to my will <laughs> and get them to start just following me around doing things for me. That is what I'm going to do in this situation. That's yeah. never crossed my mind. Well, I've seen you. <laughs> I've seen you at Bowie nights. <laughs> When I'm David sorry. Bowie's playing and everyone has to dance, David Bowie dances. Yeah, but that's not the same. <laughs> I mean, I think the, uh, <laughs> the the really like sort of horrifying thing about these people is like the cult leaders is that they're so charismatic. Which yeah, is yeah. what gives them that real kind of sway over people, and that's like the frightening thing that they, on the surface, they probably come across as very like magnetic mm. people, but they're, you know. I mean, someone like Manson and Jim Jones, certainly they're, they're a bit of a kind of, they're a total freak occurrence in that like, they're, they're just a, a weird combination of very like toxic, uh, you know, characteristics, which then can give rise to, to something like this happening, basically. But it's, it's a total freak occurrence, but it's, it's obviously fascinating and horrifying that it has happened in history. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, exactly. And throughout history, it's definitely not, you know, I mean, there is a spikes of it. But um, it's definitely not like a thing of of a time. Like they've throughout history, there've been these kind of like characters, and like in mythology and kind of throughout literature, there are just these kind of Svengali types. I'm not sure if that's the right word. Yeah, I just watched a thing on Netflix about the Twin Flame cult. This like this new one, really really current one. It's still going, going strong. I'm not giving them an advert, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but yeah, watch that on Netflix because that's all people that are quite lonely, looking for love, and then they're told how to find their twin flame, and it gets more and more. People get more and more brainwashed and sort of you know and sucked in until they're working for free, volunteering for free, writing letters to say goodbye to all their family members, yeah. cutting themselves off, isolating all the you know the ten steps towards sort of cutting people off from their families and from their 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 reasoning and their thought until yeah. they're just sort of a an army of sheep yeah. yeah these these cults very much prey on people who are kind of marginalized and yeah. outcasts basically they're almost prime prey for for a kind of a, a leader to kind of take take by the hand but it's, but where are they where are you being led yeah that's the question yeah where are you being led oh it's terrifying really it really is yeah, absolutely. Exactly. But, but yeah, in, just in general, that's those are the kind of questions I ask myself on a daily basis and worry. But then, um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I wanted to ask you about um, about just your practice as a writer as well. Like, obviously, we've talked about um, how about the fact that you you got published very young and you and had a lot of success. And so it's like how. Did you like how then do you build writing into your daily life when you do have to adapt it to a kind of a more kind of multifaceted kind of life that just isn't like like the life of an artist? I don't think anyone any of us really lived that beyond the age of about twenty seven. Yeah, but like absolutely. Yeah. yeah, but how was that for you to kind of evolve through that? Yeah, grow I mean, up through it. I mean, I, I do feel like you just stuff. I mean, you can't really 
you can complain about the culture, but you can't really sort of change it. Um, but I feel like, yeah, because again, when Apple's Intense Story Love Song came out, I was able to write full time. Mm. But I do, I do favour these kind of zero hour jobs and stuff. So I've always kind of worked part time doing various things. I mean, been like sort of plasterer for like three months, and then I was, uh, you know, working behind bars and stuff, and like a handyman. It's all like different, different flexible jobs and stuff. But I think, yeah, the flexible work. I mean, it, it works when you, when the work is there. When the work dries up, everyone's kind of screwed, basically. Mm. But it means that, say if I work kind of like three days a week or something and just scrape by, then it gives me just about enough time to, to write as well. Mm. But I feel that with with my earlier books, they all just kind of fell out of the pencil, basically. But now I really, now that I've got older, I do kind of, I guess, like craft my books a lot more carefully um, so they do, even just in that sense, they take a lot longer. But, yeah, I just try, I mean, again, like, I just, I don't really give myself any time off because any time off is just spent writing, basically. Obviously, I have a, a few days when you do actually go away, but in terms of, like, being at home, I just try and try and write as much as I can, basically. So I think as long, I mean, it's that thing when being a novelist as well, it's such like a mammoth task ahead of you compared to, say, being, like, a musician or a poet, for instance. Um you really do just have to get that momentum up. So, um, but yeah, I think you, you do just have to adapt. You've got to kind of find some way of making it work. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I love that. I yeah. love that answer. Thank you. And it just, to me, that makes me just feel like it's your passion, basically. Yeah, definitely. I yeah. do think it's kind of your, your calling, isn't it, when you, when you can't really do without it. So are there any hidden meanings in your work? And if there were, would you tell us? Well, the, I mean, Manatee Typewriter is full of like secretive bits. I mean, I, I was really kind of really inspired by um, like Nabokov and Thomas Pynchon yeah. before I was writing this, and even like David Lynch, and which I, I see sort of similarities between their work, even though their work is very sort of on the surface level very different. But there's a lot of like hidden things in yeah. in there that you feel like you could spend a lifetime rewatching and rereading and then picking apart, and you can kind of change your opinion on what exactly is is going on so with Manity Typewriter I really wanted to make it like a puzzle basically um, it's all about kind of mistaken identity and that's that's like really the running theme through it and there's various instances of mistaken identity to the point where I think even towards the, the end of the book it's, it's quite blurred as to what exactly is going on but there is like a strict there is a definite solution if you like to the to the novel but I like the idea of people maybe you know I would, I would love people to reread it and kind of pick it apart and kind of try and really like puzzle through what's what who exactly this Novak character is and what his true mo- motives are basically but and also but that makes me think of the fact that there's like the, you've, the, the polari which is almost like that's part of someone's identity it was used to protect people's identity and then you've got mistaken identity in there and it's a very layered situation that you have one of the things that I think about David Lynch and Nabokov is it's just very there's sorts of symbols, yeah, in the literature which I love because it's like you just you think you're reading like a short story you think you're just or you think you're watching like a kind of episode of a extremely odd soap in the case of David Lynch Twin Peaks, and then you get really hooked into these symbols like a cherry pie, or a, or a lap dog, and then 
you, it's like almost like it creeps up on you. It's quite uncanny, and all of a sudden you 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 find yourself completely in a spiral, or I do, like in some kind of weird mind spiral, sucked into someone's vision. And um, but I really love that about that kind of writing, as you say, because it's like you've got one way that you can read it, and then you've got other ways that you can kind of ruminate on it. And you can almost like just do a page again and again and again, and kind of take different things from it. It's a different experience of reading. Yeah, definitely, because because obviously like, the main thing is making it work on the surface level itself as well. But then to yeah add all these little little Easter eggs. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. which I ne- which I didn't do in in Apple's or Ten Story Love Song. They're very much kind of surface level, very much based on my own experiences as well. Quite kind of pushed to the extreme. Yeah, here and there as well. But but with Manic Typewriter, yeah, it was, it was very much kind of yeah constructing this kind of strange jigsaw that you've got to put back together. Fantastic. Wonderful. Yeah. Right, I've got some more pogues um, because we couldn't choose just one. No, we couldn't. And we're playing these with condolences and love to all of Shane McGowan's friends and family and millions of fans. Yeah, and just people who, yeah, like it's it's, it's been the same outpouring, hasn't it? Yeah. Like that we've seen in the past. But yeah, it's just there's just this kind of real affection for him. So love to everybody who's been moved by his passing on yeah this is a rainy night in soho on soho radio i've been loving you a long time down all the years, down all the days And I've cried for all your troubles Smile at your funny little ways We watched our friends grow up together And we saw them as they fell Some of them fell into heaven Some of them fell into hell I took shelter from a shower And I stepped into your arms The wind was whistling all its charm I sang it all my sorrows You told me all your joys Whatever happened to that old song To all those little girls and boys
ginger lady by my bed Covered in a cloak of silence I'd hear you talking in my head I'm not singing for the future I'm not dreaming of the past I'm not talking of the first time I never think about the last Now the song is nearly over We may never find out what it means Still there's a lot I hold for me You're the measure of my dream The measure of my dream Christmas night falls upon the darkness of the land. The blackbird crows where the brave man stands. But there, in the night, is an eminent light, beaming down bright, yet hides where the brave man stands upon the darkness of the land. There is a dark side of Christmas that we know we don't see Where the treetops glisten And hides the lonely man on the street He rests on his park bench Day 1963 He prays for one last time Holding 
Listening to Roaring Twenties Radio on Soho Radio. I'm Selena Gordon, and it's time for me to give you a little books roundup. Books that I've really loved in 2023. Um, if you like any of the books that I'm mentioning, they're on our um, ooh, on our bookshop.org page. Um, the Roaring Twenties Radio 2023 recommendations. I think we're up to nearly 150 um, for this year so far. Um, and so here's just some. I mean. I find it really difficult to do top tens and lists because it's all in the moment and it's all in kind of what mood you're in and, and where you're at and the world's so chaotic and so to sort of find that headspace and that gentle calm to sit and read and, and just let your mind stop going over and over and to just sort of relax and read is a real luxury and a real pleasure um, so yeah so here are some books that I definitely want you to either either pick up um, or look forward to in the new year um, I'm going to start with my classic reads so my classic reads of this year was um, Octavia Butler I got really into so many Octavia Butler books and audio books and lectures on YouTube and talks and videos on YouTube. Um, so, she, yeah, Octavia Butler was my classic deep dive this year. Um, and I really well recommend um, um, anything by Octavia. I'd start with Parable of the Sower and then go from there. Um, we should have a thing, actually. So I think Parable of the Sower starts in 2024. I mean, obviously it was written in the 
um, 80s and 90s, but it starts in 2024. So we should have an Octavia Butler party. And um, yeah, that'd be amazing. Anyway, so here are some books that blew my mind or books that I think will blow your mind in 2024. So I'm going to shout out to Laura Dockrill. Um, she's got a book that's coming out in June 2024 called I Love You, I Love You, I Love You. So look out for that. Um, memoir of the year, definitely Jenny Fagan's Ootlin. Um, that was out in August 2023. Absolutely, I sat and read that in one sitting. It's still with me, even just the title. I can still see it all in my mind. So yeah, look out for Ootlin if you're looking for a nice, uh, nice, wrong word, but a fantastic and powerful book to um, to to really get your, your teeth stuck into. Jenny Fagan is just such a fantastic writer. I'm such a super fan. Um, Coming out in March 2024, we have The Chain by Shimen Suleiman. Oh my goodness, this is a, a non-fiction as well. And this book just, just was just completely just, just so powerful and so necessary and so phenomenally written and written so candidly and frankly. So I think that's actually going to be a really big hit. Um, you heard it here first, guys. But I think that's going to be a really big hit, really big feminist book, a really needs to be said book um, coming out in March 2024. Um, poets that write novels we've got Andrew Macmillan's Pity that's out in February 2024 it's absolutely phenomenal book fantastic um, staying in poetry we've got Oakley Flanagan's um, G&T was a beautiful de uh, debut that came out this year look out for that Will Burns Natural Burial Ground another fantastic read look out for that and Amy Akers Mother Song also came out this year um, really fantastic collection Staying in the debut area, Phoebe McIntosh Dominoes is out in March 2024. Um, I really highly recommend that. It's a really, really fantastic debut and um, really looking forward to seeing what Phoebe does next. I think there's a really outstanding talent. Um, another highlight for this year was Jacqueline Crook's Fire Rush. That's out already and I really, really enjoy that and recommend that. Um, and Megan Barker's Kit was out this year. Uh, again, just so poetic. Such a fantastic um, a novel. I really found that really interesting and interestingly written. Um, as for personal news, um, we've announced my books. They're coming out on May the 2nd. Springfield Road, A Poet's Childhood Revisited. Very exciting. It's coming out the same day as um, a new big fat poetry collection called With Love, Grief and Fury and that's over 80 pieces. A uh, lovely big fat new poetry book. They're coming out side by side on May the 2nd. Watch this space. Big gig. Big party. Let's have it. Come on then. It's going to be amazing and look, I have not been privy to any of these new poems so I am very much looking forward to hearing and reading all of this work from Selena that I've been hearing about her doing and just yeah I'm very very excited thank you so much have you performed many of the poems I think previously? I think there's maybe about three or four in there that, that ex have existed but they they were written after pessimism is for lightweights was published so there was like they were there were homeless poems and they go in with the theme so they they made their way in there yeah oh and there's one poem that's an old poem that I, that was a, it's a quiet poem but because so much of my work the noisier swearier stuff takes up so much of the so it's like it's a quiet love poem that i wanted to give it another chance and give it another life in this book yeah i'm really excited thank you and um yeah it's just you know it's just i don't know there's nothing like reading the work of friends yeah 
Oh, but if you want to see the covers, you can see them on my website. We just um, released them this week and they look really nice side by side. And that's all I've got to say about that. <laughs> all right. Um, I've got it's, it's timely because I've got a song now, which um, I think is by a band that you love as much as I do. Who is it? This is the Leisure Society. Oh, I love them. <laughs> Thank you. And this is the last of the melting snow, which Let's I chose dance. as I watched the first flakes fall today. Oh, it's pouring with snow, pouring with snow. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, we're coming to the end of the show. It's been so lovely to have you, Richard. Thank you so much for coming and visiting us and chatting with us about your beautiful work. Yeah, thanks for coming in. No, thanks so much for having me. Oh, yeah. Will you come back when Matt's here? Yeah, yeah we should. he yeah. would love that. He yeah. loves you. In fact, I'm going to be Matt for a minute. Thanks so much for coming in. You're very welcome, Matt. And what's what's coming in 2024? What's what we what we're doing with you? What are you up to? Any gigs or anything we should know about festivals? Well, yeah, not there's not too much in the diary yet, but the paperback of Money and Typewriter will be coming out in September. I oh, think. cool! So there'll be more, hopefully, around that as well. But yeah, hopefully, I mean. I would love to do a gig with you again. It's oh, been we should. years. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we've done a few in the past. Yeah, we? We let's do one with Matt, it. like the three yeah. of us. Yeah, and Rose. what about this Octavia Butler situation? Oh, the Octavia Butler party. Yeah, yeah, we should do that. I really am thinking about that. I think the book starts July 2024, and it's like this futuristic. Well, to then it would have felt really yeah. futuristic, but it's literally next year now. It's like oh. You know, yeah, where, yeah, it's a, it's a terrifying future that Octavia Butler imagined. But as each day goes by, and as I look at the news, I realise Octavia Butler was right about everything. Dun, dun, dun. Moving on. So, um, yeah, that would be really good fun. So um, as I'm wrapping up the show, I just want to, you know, it's coming up to the end of the year. It is the season to be jolly, is the season to share and care. I really want you, if you can, if you can manage it, please go to Refugee Community Kitchen and see if you can donate. I know they're calling out for volunteers. They're feeding people without judgment, Um, people from, you know, that are displaced refugees, um, people that are just on hard time and homeless people they've got a kit they've got a, a, a something established here in london um and they've also obviously they're there at calais um and in in france too um check out refugee community kitchen and if you can't volunteer you, or you, you might have a look and they've got things like jumpers and hoodies really nice hoodies and um and all kinds of things which you could use and give as christmas gifts um and then you're also you know doing christmas present but and also helping refugees and then the other uh, charity that i'm going to give a shout out for is Choose Love who I'm a huge fan of are doing incredible work and their um, their shop has just opened up um, this week I think in, in Soho so you can go and you buy a gift and then obviously your money um, turns into something for, for people that are in danger and in trouble and in desperate need of all of our care um, so many people in desperate need of all of our care please keep your heart open and, um, and your you know and just but you know count your blessings and be as loving as you can i'd like to mention center point which is a homeless charity for young people um see sadly so many young people on the streets in london like younger than i've seen in a long time um so so center point helps um get those kids into housing and get them on that and get them into kind of a situation from which they can start to build a life which i think is really important and also there's obviously shelter as well i also wanted to mention um, medical action palestine which is doing great work in the gaza strip and um also uh, medecin sans frontieres for the doctors without borders that help people there and all over the world yeah if they can get through yes and um, yeah, um, I and then you know the the other side is just you don't have to think big. If that some people, that's just not how they share. Look, go to your local church, maybe church jumble sale, the uh, I mean, or any religious organisation. 
um, you know, and um, or just kind of put some money into the little thing by the till, put your change in. I think there's it's, it, it doesn't feel as good to get unless you've given, in my personal opinion. Yeah. So just share where you can. And um, it doesn't always have to be money. Sometimes just your time is enough. Um, well said. Yeah. Uh, we are now going to end on a track that is so Selena. This is like condensed Selena goodness. <laughs> <laughs> really. Um, this is the song that I've been singing every morning um, or, or at least once a day. Um, and we're going to have a bit of Stevie Wonder. I want to thank you again, Richard Millward, for oh, coming so in. Thank you. Make sure you go, um, listeners, make sure you go and check out Man Eating Typewriter. In fact, go and read the entire works of Richard. Start with Apples and work your way through. Yeah. It's an absolutely fantastic writer. And I'm really excited that we got to have you on the show today. Thank oh, you. Thanks so much. It's true. Here is Stevie Wonder with Love's in Need of Love Today. Good morning, evening, friends. Here's your friendly announcer I have serious news to pass on to
Vamos lá.